Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul uses a striking expression, that I may gain Christ. Of course, when we get saved, in a sense, we can say that Christ has gained us. But what is it for us to gain him? A wonderful picture from the Old Testament that will help us to see this reality is given in the book of Exodus as the Lord unveiled to his people the way for them to possess the good land. Stay with us today for a rich and enlightening life study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Ed Marks joins us, and I appreciate that you're here today, Ed, to help us out with this program. Well, Chris, it's a real privilege to be back uh, on the program today, especially we see a lot of marvelous pictures in here, types portraying and showing us how we can experience Christ, just like you read that portion from Philippians, in order that I may gain Christ. Well, I think after we hear this program today, we will learn more about how we can gain Christ in our experience. Ed, this message today is a continuation of Exodus chapter 23. Let me read for review purpose verses 20, 21, and 22. And I am now sending an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be careful before him and listen to his voice. But if you will indeed listen to his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Ed, give us a little review about this angel that was sent by Jehovah to bring the people into the place that he had prepared. Chris, the first thing that we need to see is that when this portion refers to the angel of Jehovah, we need to see that actually the angel of Jehovah is Jehovah himself. The angel of the Lord is the Lord himself. And we see this in Exodus 3 when the Lord appeared to Moses in a thorn bush. There was a fire burning in that bush. The bush wasn't consumed. And it says the angel of Jehovah appeared to him from the midst of that bush. This is in Exodus 3, 2. If you look in verses 14 and 16, it shows that actually this angel of Jehovah is Jehovah himself because the very God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the fire burning in that bush and was the one who called Moses out of that bush. So that's the first thing we need to see. And then this angel, who is actually the triune God himself, has a mission, and this mission is to bring us, God's chosen people, into the place that he has prepared. And this place in the Old Testament was the good land. It was the land of Canaan. In the New Testament, the good land signifies the all-inclusive Christ for our experience and our enjoyment. This is a great light to see this, Chris. You know, a lot of Christians see that the Passover is a type of Christ, the man is a type of Christ. The living water out of the cleft rock is a type of Christ. But we also need to see that the good land 
is a type of Christ. For us to enjoy and experience, this is a rich land full of wheat, barley, vines, figs. All of these riches typify the unsearchable riches of Christ for us to enjoy. And this is God's goal, to bring us into himself as the good land so that we can enjoy him as everything. And eventually, it's by their coming into the good land and enjoying the riches in the land that they built up the temple for God's expression. In the same way, we want to enjoy Christ as our all-inclusive land, and we want to gain him and be filled with him so that he can build up his spiritual house, build up his body, and this built-up body will be his bride to bring him back. Well, Ed, once again, this ministry has brought us to one of these very vivid pictures from the Old Testament and really related it through the truth and reality of our experience as New Testament believers. Let's join Witness Lee today. What we are going to talk about is just the way to take possession of Christ, the way to experience Christ, gain Christ, obtain Christ, to uh, take hold and to grasp Christ as Paul did. Here, the spiritual experiences are altogether mysterious yet so real. So there is the need of the types God give us in the Old Testament in these few chapters, 21, 22, 23. Just at the end, the concluding word gives us Christ as God sent one to guard us in the way and to bring us into himself at the all-inclusive good land. Not only so, in this portion of the word, you have the details telling you how you can not enter in the good land, but also possess it for your possession and for your enjoyment. It gives you the details. The description concerning the angel of Jehovah and the description of the land. Very simple. But it speaks more, much more description of the way to take possession of it even more than the description of the flesh eaters. This indicates that yet no. If you are going to experience Christ, you must know the flesh eaters. And you must also know the detailed way how to take possession of Christ, how to obtain Christ experientially. Here, 14 verses, 20 through 33, a lot of details concern the way to possess the good land for your enjoyment. And I really like this correlation that we're seeing today between the subject of our message today from Exodus, which is taking possession, really, of the good land, and the Apostle Paul's word that we opened the program with in the New Testament, particularly this passage in Philippians 3 on account of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse, that I may gain Christ. And then in verse 12, he talks about laying hold of Christ. Yet what's the relationship between these Old Testament and New Testament expressions? In the Old Testament, we see that God's desire was for his people to take possession of the good land. And as we've seen, the good land 
typifies the all-inclusive Christ. He wants us to enjoy all the riches contained in him. So to take possession of the good land in New Testament terms is to take possession of Christ. Now we know when we receive the Lord as our life and Savior, he came into us and he lives in us. And this is wonderful. But the Christian life doesn't stop there just with our initial salvation. Philippians was written many, many years after Paul's conversion. He says here, according to what you read in Philippians 3.8, that he wanted to gain Christ. This needs to be our aspiration too. Christ is in us, but we need to gain Christ. He needs to increase in us. He's the good land within us. There is a vast, unexplored territory of Christ before us that we need to explore. So like Paul, we need to count everything as refuse. Now, the Greek word for refuse here means dregs, it means filth, it means rubbish, it means dung. That means to Paul, everything other than Christ was dung. It was rubbish. And we need to realize this. The only precious commodity in this universe is Christ himself. We need to tell the Lord every day, Lord, I'd like to gain more of you today in my experience. Paul goes on in verses 13 and 14. Like you said, in verse 12, he talks about laying hold of Christ. We need to gain him in our experience. Then in verse 13, he said that he did one thing. He forgot the things before. He says this, forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before, I pursue toward the goal for the prize. We need to have this same experience. We need to forget the things which are behind and stretch forward to the vast unexplored territory of the Christ who lives in us. We need to experience and enjoy Christ today, even right now. I praise the Lord that we are enjoying Christ together. Ed, this matter of possessing, gaining, laying hold of Christ has many attributes and aspects to it that we need some practical help to make it real in our experience. We're going to get some in this coming section. Let's go back to Witness Lee. We must learn to obey the sent one from God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And God sent him to us, not in a simple way, but in a way through incarnation, human living, crucifixion, through the burial, and through resurrection, even through ascension, glorification, through the entrainment, and through his being made Lord and Christ. All these are steps through which God sent this angel to us. Hallelujah. We have to obey him. To take possession of Christ, you must realize you have one living person, not a bunch of doctrines, a bundle of books. We do have a living person within us, right? Amen. Don't you have Christ in you? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We have a sent one. Amen. We have the angel of Jehovah sent to us through all those wonderful processes. Many Christians either take care of their mission work, 
the gospel preaching, or take care of the doctrine, take care of the Bible, take care of the theology, take care of a lot of teachings. They don't take care of the living person, Jesus Christ. Christ today speaks for God within us. In a living way. Concerning the word voice, this word is used in John 10. The Lord says, My sheep know my voice. Such a sent one from God is with us. We have to obey him. Amen. In a good sense, the Lord Jesus within us is very nice. He's very gentle. But we all know. On the other hand, he's so easy to be provoked. When you are just a little bit disobedient, you provoke him. Right away, you will lose his smiling. You will have a deep sensation that he's not happy with you. In the morning watch, you'll be made very happy. Rejoicing, praising, huh? this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Just a little bit wrong, you are provoked because you are no more happy, because he is not happy. The indwelling Christ is very sensitive. Once he got provoked, he will not pardon until you confess. He is not a loose one. He's very strict. A little bit wrong would bother him. Always obey his voice. Ed, this was a very inward, subjective, and experiential admonition in this portion. Of course, we do have the Word of God objectively outside of us, but Christ as the living Word of God is within us. This can seem confusing, and many people, I think, purposely avoid the inner subjective side so that they're not led astray, and there is that danger. Help us to enter into the real meaning here of obeying the sent one and his speaking. What you're referring to here is in Exodus 23:21, where the Lord charges us to be careful before him and listen to his voice. And as believers, the Lord's voice means everything to us. We love the Lord. We really love him. We're in a romance with him. The one that you're in a romance with, the one that you love, the one that you want to gain, that you want to be everything to you, you have to hear his voice. And this is very subjective. Every day we need to hear his voice. Every day we need to obey his voice. In John 10, verse 27, the Lord says, My sheep hear my voice. We're his sheep. We need to hear his voice. Even right now on this broadcast, as you're listening, we are praying that all of us will hear the Lord's voice, hear the Lord speaking. How does this correspond to, Chris, what you mentioned about the objective word of God outside of us? There's two Greek words for the word. One is logos, which is the constant word, the written word of God. This is the Bible. The Bible is the logos to us. But we also need another kind of word, and that's the Greek word rhema. Rhema is the instant present speaking of God to us. What his instant speaking is, is when he speaks the constant word a second time. He speaks it to us. 
He personalizes it. He makes it real to us in our experience. We need the Lord to speak his instant, living, fresh word to us daily out of his constant word. And Chris, according to Ephesians 5.26, this verse tells us that we're sanctified by the washing of the water in the word. We are sanctified by the Lord's instant, present, personal speaking to each one of us. So every day we should say, Lord, open my whole being to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice today. And when I hear your voice, I want to say amen to your voice and obey your voice. Ed, I really liked how you connected these two aspects of the word together. In the question, we mentioned the fact that there is this subjective inward element that some people, it's fair to say, very much shy away from because of the danger of hearing the wrong speaking or not the right speaking. But I really appreciate how you said that the Lord takes the logos and re-speaks that in a fresh, living, and instant way, making it his rhema. So really, there is no conflict or contradiction here, is there? That's right. There's absolutely no conflict. And every believer has had this experience where the Lord speaks something to us out of his constant word. That personal speaking is rhema. It's just that we need this speaking day by day. Well, Ed, we've had a very good comparison today between Philippians in the New Testament and chapter 23 of Exodus in the Old Testament. We're going to go back to it for our final section today. Jehovah promised to cut all the pagan tribes off. All those tribes who were demonic, devilish, frustrators to Israel, God promised that God would defeat them. And then God will drive them out. But not once for all. Within a short time, say one year. Little by little. According to the pace that the children of Israel grow. When they grow this much, God will drive out this much. God driving out is measured by their growing. This is very meaningful. Okay, this is the old husband way to say it. Now we come to new husband. Philippians 2, 13 says, it is God who operates in you. Yes, God sent one here, but still it's God himself. God is working here. God is operating. God is doing something to cut off our natural life. Our natural life, number one, is fallen. Number two, is sinful. Number three, is devilish. And number four, is demonic. Our natural life, either good or bad, that doesn't mean anything. As long as it is natural life, it is a fallen life, it is sinful life, it is a devilish life, and it is demonic. And this life, which is Different kind of aspects is the frustrator. It frustrates us from enjoying Christ. It is not your wife, neither your husband, or some brothers, or some sisters who frustrate you. It is your natural life. Sometimes your natural life is fallen, and sometimes your natural life is so sinful, and sometimes it is worse. It's devilish. And sometimes it's more ugly. It's demonic. You're natural, just like a demon. Why are you mad? 
losing your temper, you go to the mirror, look at your face. That is a demon. Not a gentleman, neither a son of God. Who? A demon. Natural life has different aspects, different expressions. Sometimes it has also some good expression. But that is just a mask. Not so pure, so genuine in the eyes of God. According to Exodus, you have so many tribes typifying the natural life. You check with yourself. The natural life frustrates you from experiencing Christ. But God promised that he would cut off all this. Well, Ed, once again, we have an analogy drawn between chapter 23 of Exodus and the New Testament book of Philippians. In Exodus, the Lord is promising to bit by bit cut off all of the pagan tribes that occupied the good land. And these pagan tribes point to all of the frustrating elements of our natural life. Ed, this has to be a new thought, I think, to many of our listeners. Comment to us, if you would, about this comparison by laying a little foundation about what the natural life really is and why it's a frustration to our spiritual progress. Well, Chris, what we need to see, I think, when we talk about the natural life is this. Uh, As human beings, we're composed of three parts. We have a spirit, a soul, and a body. This is according to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. When we receive Christ as our life and Savior, he came into our spirit and he regenerated our spirit. Now we're born again. We have Christ living in us. Well, many people, many Christians think, oh, well, I'm saved, and when the Lord comes back, I'll be glorified. My body, my mortal body will be transfigured. I'll be glorified to be the same as Christ. Well, this is true, but what most Christians miss is a big step. Okay, we're regenerated in our spirit. We're glorified in our body. What about our soul? What about our mind, will, and emotion? We need to be transformed in our soul. So what is our natural life? Our natural life is our untransformed soul. Christ is in our spirit, but he wants to spread out into our soul. And the life of Christ spreads into our mind, will, and emotion to renew our natural life. Now, Chris, how does this happen? Like you said, these pagan tribes in the good land signify all the aspects of our natural life that frustrate us from experiencing and enjoying Christ. But Chris, what's marvelous here is this principle, and we saw it in the last broadcast, is according to Exodus, it says that all these pagan tribes will be driven out little by little, according to the growth of the children of Israel. Now, what does that mean? This means that our natural life is cut off, is dealt with according to our growth in the divine life. And this growth takes place little by little, day by day. You know, every day, Chris, I feel that as believers, and I hope this will help our listeners, in the morning when we wake up, we should have a prayer. We should say, Lord Jesus, grow in me today. We need to be those who eat Christ every day. Now, you may say, Ed, what do you mean, eat Christ? Well, John six fifty seven, the Lord told us, he who eats me shall live because of me. We need to eat Christ as our spiritual food every day. He is our spiritual food, and we need to eat him every day. If we eat him, 
We will live by him and we will grow with him. Now, how can we eat him? I would say this, Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. The way we can enjoy Christ as our spiritual food is by coming to his word every day and reading his word, but not reading his word just in a general way, but reading his word by praying over his word, praying with his word, even praying this word of God back to the Lord and personalizing it. When we pray over God's word in this way, his word becomes spirit and life to us. It becomes our spiritual nutrients. Then we grow in the divine life. Our natural life is cut off and we enjoy Christ as our good land. Isn't this wonderful? Ed, this is wonderful. And I appreciate your emphasizing the little by little or bit by bit. This is a gradual process. And as you were talking about Christ growing into us, I couldn't help but think of Ephesians chapter 3 that as our spirit is strengthened, that Christ would make his home bit by bit in our heart, which is really our soul in that sense. It's a wonderful picture, Ed. Chris, it is, and I agree with you 100%. Our listeners should pick up what you said. We need to pray this prayer in Ephesians 3 also. We need to ask the Father to strengthen us into the inner man so that Christ can make his home in our hearts and spread into our soul for the transformation of our soul so that we can enjoy him as our good land for the fulfillment of his purpose. For Ed Marks today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. To contact us, please call toll-free 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.